This is Garrett Moon, author of the 10X Marketing Formula, your blueprint for creating competition-free content that stands out and gets results. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash podcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Garrett Moon to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, 10X Marketing Formula, your blueprint for creating competition-free content that stands out and gets results. Garrett Moon is the CEO and co-founder of CoSchedule, the web's most popular marketing calendar, which was ranked as the best business tool built by a startup on entrepreneur.com. CoSchedule helps more than 10,000 marketing teams stay organized in 100 plus countries around the world. Garrett blogs and speaks about content marketing, social media marketing, and startup businesses, and has been featured on sites like Entrepreneur, Forbes, Social Media Examiner, and Content Marketing Institute. And he's been a speaker at some of the world's most popular marketing conferences, including two of my favorites, Inbound and Content Marketing World. And interesting fact, he and his fast-growing business are based in North Dakota, Garrett, congratulations on 10X Marketing Formula, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. <laughs> Great intro. Thank you, Douglas. Appreciate it. Really excited to be here. It's clear to you, but I really liked it. And here in the office, people have been talking about it. And so this is one of those books that, not to take away from other all the other really fantastic books that have been on the podcast, but this one's going to end up on the desk because there's so many things, so many tweaks that we're doing in the content marketing world that we're going to be able to uh, borrow and steal with full attribution from from your book. But back to North Dakota, Garrett Moon. I, yes. What I want to know is, do, do people in North Dakota talk a lot of smack about people from South Dakota? <laughs> uh I would not see, well, when it comes to football, perhaps, you oh, know, okay. you know, when, you know, football, uh, in some of those, when everybody's playing the, the NDSU Bison or something like that, there's a lot of smack going around. But in general, uh, we're fairly friendly most really? of the time. We kind of, we're both, you know, rural, ag- agricultural based states. So we kind of got to stick together, you know. Oh, I we're see. We're not so that big, we're not that big population wise. So we need everybody we can get. Oh, so there's not like a lot of border skirmishes on the North South Dakota border. No, probably more so with Minnesota, you know, more oh. likely oh. in that direction. Oh, well, okay. So watch out. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking at you, <laughs> Minnesota people. So That's right. Good. Well, listen, I first heard of CoSchedule, I think. You know, you always think back, when did I first hear about these companies? I think it was a few years back when you sponsored one of my favorite podcasts, The Marketing Companion with Mark Schaefer and, and Tom mm-hmm. Webster. That may have been when I, I first heard about it. But my content director, Pete Humes, saw your presentation at Inbound a couple of years ago. I think you mentioned, he said you mentioned you were working on this book at that at that point. And yeah. uh, he, he's a listener to your podcast as well. And he was impressed that I was going to be interviewing you. Okay. So just... You know, the boss gets a little street cred every now and then, but not very often. But I got to see you speak at Content Marketing World, and I really, truly enjoyed the presentation. And I've been talking about it ever since, and we have to have time. I'm going to ask you to talk about uh, one aspect of that, which, which I don't think I saw in the book as much. But I should also mention that 
I, I don't think an episode goes by where I don't mention Jay Bear. And because he was on yeah. the podcast recently, he, he recently joined the marketing book podcast, Three Timers Club. So get some more books there. Go in there, Garrett. And um, yeah, everybody's got a Jay Bear library somewhere, don't they? Right, right. And, but he's an advisor and investor in CoSchedule. Mm-hmm. But what's even more interesting is that he said if you follow, he wrote the foreword to the book. If you follow the teachings in this book and your business does not grow, he will he guarantees to refund the cost of the book to you. Boom. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> we just send all the complaints his way. And and there's so far it's there has been none. So um no, no problem. <laughs> good, good. Well maybe that since he read it, he said, Well, I'll take all the complaints because he knew there weren't going to be any. But he knows about <laughs> exactly. customer service. But you know, this book reminds me. It's very different, but it just reminded me of two others that have been on the podcast over the last four years. And one of them was Perry Marshall's 80-20 sales and marketing, where he talks about fractals and always trying to you know zero in on the, the, the 20% that's working and not do the 80% that's not working. And there was another yeah. book, Scott Brinker's book about hacking marketing, where he talked about how marketing needs to learn more about, in his case, the well, he talked about mainly was uh, the, the, the software world which is, of course, yeah. many startups are that way. But let me just read a quick excerpt, and uh, we'll go from there. This is page, from page 37. Most marketing sucks. It looks like marketing, smells like marketing, and acts like marketing. But there are menial returns. It mimes the techniques around them, creating an advertising echo chamber. Everywhere you turn, it's more of the same. This book is your guide to pressing the reset button and learning to think like a scrappy results or die startup. So Garrett, tell us, why did you write this book? Why did I write this book? So actually, um, that talk I did at Inbound was sort of this early blueprint. Uh, we were thinking about the book. I was talking about the book and we've actually been, been talking about it for years. And um, I think that was sort of a first run at, you know, how does this, how do, how do we start to string all of these moments together throughout our co-schedules history, right? How we did marketing, how we put things together, how we built a, an inbound marketing system that, that grew our business to where it is today. Um, and how do we, how do we break that down? How do we kind of become introspective and start to tell that story? And is it different? Is it, does it add value? Um, and I think the thing that really stood, stood out to us or myself, I guess, uh, in a team is we had this sort of do or die mentality right from the beginning. We're, we're, we're a small uh, state we're from North Dakota. We've talked about that. Uh, we were running a, a little web agency and we had this idea for co-schedule. We built it, we launched it. And all of a sudden we had like 300 customers in like three months and it really started to take off. And so we, we, we sold the agency. We, uh, moved all of our team over to co-schedule and it was like we were on this do or die course to where we were either going to sell a bunch of marketing calendars uh, or we were going to go out of business in then about the next six to nine months. We had this very short time frame to, to make it all work. And so, you know, where do you turn? What do you do? And I think there's a sort of that moment of panic um, and, and it comes for any business, right? For us, it was like we need customers or we're going to go out, go under. Um, and for a business that's been around a while, you need to sort of reinvent yourself. You need to find some new ways to get your word out the word out about what you're doing uh, so there's sort of these inflection points that happen and this is story is just sort of the, the process that we used to get to uh, where we are today which is we have uh, one of the top 5,000 websites in the United States we have uh, you know half a million email subscribers that uh, subscribe to our blog um, you know million and a half page views every single month. So we have a very dynamic, very busy site that has essentially that traffic and that attention to our content has grown our business to where it is today. And so uh, we just we just felt like there was a lot we could share with our audience on how how we did that. Uh, and for myself as a leader, some of the frameworks that I used to keep our team focused, to keep myself focused on the results of marketing rather than just the process of marketing. Right. So first off, let me say congratulations on escaping from the agency business. <laughs> yes. I've been in it th- for 30 years. I, I, I think I'm in for life. So, but what also was interesting about the book is uh, it was, it's honestly, it's not all about your company as much as your description may have said. It's more about, right. you, you use your company simply as examples, but you also talk about other examples. But what was very, very interesting to me is that everything that you present in the book, you guys tested like crazy. You're only presenting the things that 
that worked, even things, a lot of things that surprised you. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's not about, you're right. The book is not about my company, uh, but my company is sort of the test case, right? These are, th and I think, you know, we were, we've always said our, our blog, we've always talked about being actionable, right? We always talk about actionable content. Our, our podcast is the actual marketing podcast. Um, and so for the book, it was really about, okay, here's the, here's the things, the actionable steps. These are the things that we did. These are the frameworks that we followed that worked for us. Uh, so the company is sort of in the backdrop from that context, but really it's, it's about, this is the process. This is the framework we use for prior prioritizing the types of marketing projects we're going to take on. This is the uh, framework we use for choosing what type of content to create. This is how we do analytics and measurement. This is how we do social media. You know, we go through all of that process and I really tried to make it as much about, um, I, I like the concept of frameworks versus like these, like these very specific plans and uh, very specific things that you have to follow. You, you don't have to do exactly what I, I did or what our team did, uh, but rather these are kind of more general frameworks that you can use and take with you into every planning and strategy meeting that you use. And as, as we kind of dive into some of those, I think, uh, you know, readers and listeners will kind of see that, kind of how those frameworks work. Well, let's back up, though, because, uh, I mean, this book got me doing something I really hate to do, which is think hard. Right. <laughs> and not because it was a difficult read, but because it got me rethinking some things we're doing as a business and some things that we could actually help our clients with that could even be better than what we're doing. But I want you to back up because, boy, did it hit home with me when you talked about the lure and the hype and the myth of content marketing. Can you... Can you talk about that? And go ahead and speak freely. I'm sure you'll be invited back to the Inbound Conference in the future. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you go to Inbound, you go to Content Marketing World, one of the conversations that you're going to end up having over and over again is talking about how do you prove business value? Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're at a point where, you know, content marketing has been what it is. I mean, what Content Marketing World is on its eighth year. So we're about a decade into this uh, content marketing thing or this kind of reinvention of it. And, you know, a lot of businesses and, and companies, they've, they've, they've added it, right? They've talked their Awesome to giving them the budget. They've added the team. They're doing content marketing, but the problem is they're all kind of starting to look around and saying, "But where is the where is the big windfall? Yes. Right? Where is the where 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 is the promise that content marketing was going to drive in customers in droves? How come that didn't pay out the way Just it was supposed publish to? Publish great, helpful information and. Your right. bank account will start getting fatter. It just they'll they'll wire the money to you, right? Right. And, and so, yeah, we're, and, you know, for the first five years, we're all talking about like how just to do that, right? Like right. what is high quality content? How does that look? What, how, what, how does search factor into this? Like we have all these technical questions that we're asking, but now we're kind of on this side of it where we're actually saying, okay, but yeah, what about the results? Like and keying in on that, on that concept of like, where is my return? Um, and now we have marketing teams starting to look around and say, you know, marketing CMOs, VPs, um, you know, CEOs saying, well, is this really paying off, right? Where, where's show me the money, so to speak, where's the results. Um, and so, you know, I felt like you feel like there's a lot of marketers out there asking that question. I was hearing it a lot at content marketing world inbound those conferences. Um, and part of the book was, you know, trying to give them an answer of saying, here's how our results or die mindset played out. This is, this is what, when you, when you kind of take marketing to the rails, so to speak, right. And you just go for what works. This is what it can look like, and this is what it can give your team in terms of uh, in terms of the results you're actually looking for. Right now, th there's a danger there. Explain the phenomenon right. of copycat marketing. Yeah, I mean, of course, there is uh, a lot of that, and I think that's that's kind of where I get into this. You know, trying to think of yourself in, in terms of frameworks and results rather than the process. There's a lot of blog posts, there's a lot of books that you can read that'll tell you how to do content marketing. Yes. Right? They'll say, you know, here's how long your post should be, here's how many headlines you should write, here's how many images you should include. They have all these rules that you're supposed to follow, and uh, as long as you follow them, you're you're doing content marketing. Um, and I think what happens is, as marketers, we tend to get very blinded by the process, right? We do those things. We follow the footsteps. We do, you know, what they, the experts say we're supposed to do. Uh, we publish on the networks the experts say we're supposed to publish on. Uh, we share and we use email, right? We do all the things. We check the boxes. Yep. But 
that can be very exhausting itself. There's a lot to coordinate there. And sort of once we get to that point, we sort of step back and we just say, okay, well, now it's on its own. It'll, now it's going to bring in, uh, the, you know, the customers and the audience that I expected it to, uh, as in if that's, that's the completion. And we kind of end up missing that second piece of it. And that's really what the book becomes about is about, okay, you, you followed that process. You did what you're supposed to do. You copycatted, right? You did what everybody else did. But at the end of the day, you didn't get the results you wanted. So what gives, right? Like what, what's the difference? Um, so this is about, okay, we're going to dig into results here. We're going to find out what actually worked for you, right? Because what worked for co-schedule, you know, what's going to work for your team, uh, two totally different things. So we, we try to stay away from that, but instead provide frameworks and tools for saying, okay, here's how we thought about growth and measurement, um, you know, and here's what was important to us and here's why it was important. And if you're a different type of business, you know, you might want to think about it differently and, and you might want to think about it like this. So uh, try to get, get, I don't want to give you exact steps to follow, but instead a path that they can take that allows them to become a results oriented mindset that if we do not receive ROI immediate results from this marketing effort, right? we're going to stop doing it and put our effort into something else. Yes. And I think oftentimes just that simple decision actually is what's missing from most marketing strategy documents. Amen. As it relates to copycat marketing, I'm reminded of one of my favorite cartoons. It shows a bunch of wolves howling at the moon. And in the foreground, one wolf is turning to the other saying, but are we making an impact? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it, it explain then let's just get to the title of the book because that is what reminded me so much of the well, sort of the, the the fractal nature of Perry Marshall's book but the concept of of 10x versus 10% this is the part that just hit me over the head and and again like several things here that really got me thinking explain that and and maybe what some of the traits are of a, a 10x marketer yeah. So, you know, 10X uh, is is kind of this phrase that uh, I've always kind of I've always kind of used. It's just saying, well, is that a 10X project, right? Is that a 10X opportunity? It's, it's a question that I've asked our team uh, and, you know, all, all the different teams, marketing and product and all of them, multiple times uh, over the years in terms of like, is that the best thing that we could be working on right now? And the 10X versus 10% framework is just a way for you to frame your types, your projects. And so you have, you have two types of projects or two types of ideas that you could take action on. The first are 10% projects, right? These are things that quite frankly, marketers spend most of their time doing uh, these 10% improvements saying, yes, this will help. This will make our marketing better, but it's not going to multiply our audience overnight. It's going to give you a minor improvement. It's going to get us 10% further down the road than we were before versus a 10X projects, which these are those big projects that sometimes have a little bit more risk included with them, but they have the ability to potentially multiply your business or multiply your results or multiply whatever metric you're looking to multiply uh, by 10 times. So they can make a very, very large impact over time versus a 10% improvement. Um, in the book, I kind of give an example of this at CoSchedule. And in terms of a 10X project, I talk about typos and I get tons of flack and tons of grief um, about talk when I talk about typos and I talk specifically about how at CoSchedule, when we publish a blog post and we've published hundreds of them since 2013, when we publish a blog post and we find out via Twitter or a comment or something that we have a, a typo or a grammatical error of some kind within that post, we have a forbidden rule, right? It is forbidden within CoSchedule walls to actually go into that post and fix the typo. We do not fix it. It is published. It's out there. We move on and we put our efforts into something else because we consider that a 10% improvement. Now, it's not because I don't like good grammar. It's not because I think typos are great. Uh, you know, we should always try to avoid them. Sure. But the point is, is it's, it's a really a mindset, right? Like that's at the end of the day, while that does make that blog post a little tiny bit better, the reality is it's not going to give us any additional results for that, for that activity, right? And so for me, it's just a way to really, you know, help our team understand 
what what the line is in terms of what 10% projects are. Because what we want to be working on are 10x projects, these multiplier projects. Um, and a good example of that is we spent time building a headline analyzer. Uh, Co-schedule headline analyzer, we're going to be top result in Google. Um, you know, Hundreds of thousands of marketers have used that thing to analyze their headlines. It's all based on a bunch of data and research that we did ourselves. But this headline analyzer tool allows you to type in any, any headline and we'll give you suggestions and ways to improve it uh, so that you can get more clicks, shares, and likes and, uh, and more traffic from that, from that headline. Mm-hmm. And that one project, uh, while it was a little bit risky and it was a large project that we worked on, that project has delivered hundreds of thousands, probably, probably 200,000 plus email addresses into our email list. So it's brought us huge audience growth. Uh, plus it gets, you know, page views and hits every single day. It's one of people, you know, marketers top bookmarks uh, to use our free headline analyzer. So, you know, the point is, is that what's the next headline analyzer for co-schedule, right? Like I'd ha- much rather have my team thinking about that and building that than I would have them working on these 10, 10% improvements like fixing typos. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume that you're not helping your sons prepare for those spelling tests, but no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I definitely would not be qualified for that. Okay, right? okay, okay, good. So uh, one thing that might be helpful to, f- to further explain the 10X is this idea of why the startup world is such a great blueprint for marketing teams in terms of the sense of urgency and why the 10% improvement, those will kill you. Meaning, like, right. you talk about how, you know, a startup may have three months before they go, you know, burn through all their money, and they are not thinking about 10% improvements. They're thinking about the next headline analyzer. Correct. Yep. And, and I think um, there's that, and that's kind of what I was getting at before, like, sort of this results or die mentality. Like, if they don't find a headline analyzer, they're not going to exist in three months. Um, and I think what's interesting is once you start looking at, at startups and that startup culture, there's a lot of frameworks for startups that have been created to help them battle that and help them understand that and think through it. Um, but marketers don't really have anything quite like that. We don't really have those types of things. So I, I talk about in the book, I talk about um, there's the, the lean startup uh, concept, uh, which was kind of developed by Eric Reese, which is about you know building a, a minimum viable product, like a very, very basic version of your software or product, getting it out there so that customers can give you feedback right away. And it's sort of about this idea that the sooner you ship an early concept and an early idea, the sooner you're going to get feedback and validation on whether it's a good idea or not, right? So we stop kind of like, kind of as a startup, you have to kind of live in this world where we don't assume our ideas are good anymore, right? We think they might be good. They perhaps could be good, but we don't assume they are good. And instead, what we do is we find ways to test them. We find ways to get them out there early. We find ways to get feedback. Um, and as marketers, we often actually do the exact opposite. What we actually do as marketers a lot of times is we write out a strategy, we write out a plan, which I advocate strategy to a certain degree. Um, but, but what happens is we just execute that plan and we put things out there because we assume that our plan was a good one. We assume that our content is good. We assume that our ideas were good. And we put it out there and we just follow the script, right? We, we just go into the next project. We ship the next project. We ship the next project. And we don't actually get to uh, we may we may look at the analytics, we may look at the data, but what we frequently miss the opportunity to do is revise our entire strategy and our entire plan based out based on that type of data. And a startup is not will is not unwilling to do that. A startup will throw out the entire playbook. Everyone uh, in your audience, I'm sure, has purchased a piece of software that a startup built and found out that after a few months, all of a sudden they were making these radical changes uh, that maybe they changed their name, they changed the product altogether, right? We, we've seen startups go through this type of phase, um, you know, and, and there's some great examples. I talk about some of the book, but startups are change and they, they're willing to completely reinvent themselves in order to get the results that they need. And marketing teams need to embrace that same mentality in order to just ruthlessly go after results driven, driven content. And marketing. Yeah. Especially testing your assumptions. Right. So we're going to, I want to talk about co- uh, content and so forth, but what, what I'd like you to do is talk about this thing that you talked about at content marketing world, which you, you talk about in the book, but you had a specific example and it was, has to do with parallel content topics and you talked about the blog post you all did that was about color and and if you could go into some of that but parallel content topics i mean honestly it hurt a little bit to read that because it was like damn 
I've, I've made that mistake. I've made many of the yeah. mistakes you talk about in your, in your book. And maybe that's why the book resonated even more because it was like, yep, he's right about that. You know, I, I've done that wrong. But it, you talk about parallel content topics. It's basically you're helping your audience while you're starving your business. So what are they and why are they so deadly? Yeah, I think we've all done it. Uh, I, I've done it many times. That's uh, how I, le- I learned a lesson. In fact, uh, don't forget that I gave a whole case study on how we did it wrong for hundreds of thousands of page views before we ever got it right. So every marketer has done it. And I think I think it's essentially comes from this, uh, you know, a parallel topic are essentially uh, these topics that do a really good job at driving attention. Right. Um, it's sort of this it's almost a, a traffic trap uh, type of type of content. And think of it like uh, it's sort of similar to your product or runs sort of parallel to what your business and your product does. But it doesn't actually meet and touch and actually really cover what your what your business does. Right. And I could see how somebody might be thinking like a journalist and saying, hey, I'm building a great audience and right. you're missing something. You're missing something. And I think a lot of times for a content marketer, what it comes down to is we actually ask ourselves the question of, would my audience like this, right? Would my audience find this interesting? Um, and that's an okay question to ask, but that question alone isn't enough to actually create the type of content that you need to actually get results. So the example that I gave at Content Marketing World was you wrote a, a post about color psychology, and it was like this huge post with tons of infographics and information about uh, how color psychology can be used in marketing. Tremendously good post, very valuable, and very, very of, parallel. A lot of links, a lot of shares. Tons of shares. I think a hundred, like a, a million page views to that post. Uh, you know, gosh, hundreds of hundreds of co- thousands of comments uh, and and downloads of certain content. I think Joe Lazowskis from Contently was in the audience, and he even said, "Oh yeah, we linked to that." <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> right. you heard that, but uh, but the problem is, tell us what the conversion rate was on that particular piece of content. Point zero zero three. Point zero zero three was the particular was the actual conversion rate that really stuck in this uh, audience member's head. <laughs> love everyone loved to tweet it and they loved to link to it, but no one actually engaged with the content. And the reality is, is it was parallel content, right? Like it was like we're a marketing tool. That was something that marketers are interested in. But the reality is that CoSchedule, our product and our values as a company, we have absolutely nothing to do with color, right? Other than we let you pick a color label when you put something on the calendar. Like <laughs> right. color psychology is just not important to co-schedule so it doesn't actually meet the value that we provide our customers it wasn't something you could help them with right exactly and so you know it got lots of attention and and for many years for a couple years we actually thought it was a really good post like this is one of our best pieces of content let's create more content like it this one's getting tons of retweets and tons of shares and so once you start saying that let's create more content like this one that's getting all these shares all of a sudden your entire marketing strategy just got you know, took a left turn, um, and, and it's heading you in the wrong direction. Uh, so, you know, we started after learning that lesson, we started looking at, uh, it, at our content and how, you know, what it was missing. And I developed a concept called the content core mm-hmm. and the content core is, you want me to go into it or do you want to? Yeah, no, please. I was going to say, let's talk about content core. Let's talk about competition, free content. There's so much I would like to talk to you about this book. We could almost do a Garrett Moon Festival for four to six weeks of episodes, but those are two of the things I want to talk about, and as well as a couple others. So please, Content Core, competition-free content, go crazy. Well, it, it, Content Core is really the solution to parallel content. Uh, content Core is about finding content topics that kind of meet two things. One, they are, just like we talked about with parallel content, they are a topic that your customers are interested in, right, that your audience cares about. Mm -hmm. That's fine, right? Uh, They care about color theory. That's potentially fine. But what we have to do is be more, we have to scrutinize those topics more and make sure that that topic also uh, epitomizes the value that our business provides, right? So what value does your business provide its customers? What problems are you solving for your customers? Unless your content actually meets both of those criteria, as in it's something they want to read about and are interested in, and it epitomizes the value that you provide as a business, 
it's not a content core topic. It needs to do both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very a very simple framework. When you start asking yourself those two questions, I even give you in the book some sentences that you can use to kind of just ask yourself in brainstorming meetings, like just a really simple topic. Because what happens a lot is you start coming up with ideas and you stick post-it notes, you write them on a whiteboard or you stick them right into the calendar. You're like, yeah, I think people would click that. Oh, that'd be just like this other post. We got 50 shares on that one, you know? Um, but it gives you a secondary question. Okay. That'd be a good post. We got 50 shares and a, a post just like it. Okay. But what value that we provide as a company does it relate to, right? How do we tie this back to what our business actually does on a day-to-day basis? Cause, cause at the end of the day, like that's the type of stuff, the value you provide as a business uh, you also want your marketing to promote, right? And you also want your marketing to to provide that same type of value or else why bother? Well, otherwise you could just have cat videos. Cat videos get tons of shares and likes, right? And <laughs> there's a lot, of, there's plenty of that out there in, in marketing plans, by the way. Oh, great. Well, I hope it's from companies that sell cat food or cat accessories. Well, in that case, it could be appropriate, yes. Right, right. So the content core, I mean, it just, it's it's so simple, it hurts, but those two lines need to intersect as opposed to having great content and it's just not connected to any kind of results. And I think that when you shared that case study at Content Marketing World, I was impressed because I think it showed a certain humility and a certain self-confidence. So good, good on you. Let's talk about this concept that I just loved called competition-free content. Yeah, so um, there's a book that I read a number of years ago called The Blue Ocean Strategy, and it's a great business strategy book and a great kind of framework for just thinking about how to differentiate your business from your your competition, and it sort of draws this metaphor of an ocean, and there's two types of ocean. There's a blue ocean, which is wide open, clear sailing, you know, blue skies, blue ocean, it's beautiful, just exactly what you want. And then there's actually what most of us end up sailing in, which is the red ocean, where we're kind of doing all the same stuff our competitors are doing. We're kind of trying to fight them at the exact same thing. And and the water has now become bloody, so to speak, with competition. Um, And, you know, it's kind of a really powerful concept that I've carried with me as a, you know, business owner, as a startup uh, founder for a number of years. And it was something where we started to talk about it as as a way to relate it to our content as well. Um, And that's really where I developed the framework for competition-free content, which competition-free content is really about starting to think about the content that you're creating and publishing as a piece, I, I would say, as competing, I, I guess, in terms of uh, or competing with other marketing material, right? I think it's very easy for us to think about how our business is competing with other businesses. We can think of, uh, you know, other businesses that we've lost customers to, mm-hmm. but can you think of other businesses or other content that your marketing content has lost business to, right? Does that make sense? Can you Mm -hmm. think about where where that is going? Um, And the reality is, is that as content marketing has become more and more popular, right? In 2012, 2013, it was just getting rolling. Um, You know, it was kind of a lot of blue oceans, right? Just because you're the first one in your industry to do it, you can make a lot of headway. Mm -hmm. Now everyone's doing it. Your competitors are doing it. They're all out there. Content is everywhere. So you've got to be able to take your content to another level to actually stand out from the competitors. So it's related to the concept that you mentioned of Brian Dean from Backlinko, the the skyscraper. And also when I ever, you know, when I hear 10X, I always think of the Rand Fishkin uh, whiteboard Friday where he, he, he was talking about 10X being, you know, it needs to be 10 times better than anything else out there. Right. Yeah, and actually, that's that's actually a strategy I, I do talk about and do suggest as well uh, for competition-free content. Um, you know, one of the things that, and I talked about that at Content Marketing World too, is that a great way to make sure that you have competition-free content is do a search on the topic that you're writing about. You're going to see all the results on Google. Click on every single one. You know, open each one in a new tab or something, and read every piece of content. You know, and and do sort of an assessment, right? How many images are there? Um, you know, what are the is this a very is this a very high level post? Is this a macro look or is this micro, right? Like where is it at? Um, and kind of figure out what's what's there. Figure out what the best piece of content is. Figure out what it's missing, and then develop a plan for like blowing it out of the water, right? Right, creating something that's literally ten times better than what you just looked at on the top ten results. Um, and if you do that. Once you're not going to get anything, but if you do that every time you create a piece of content and you really sort of quote unquote put your back into it, right? Like 
that will make a very, very big difference in, um, in how you grow over time. Yeah, and I think that people will be surprised if they just do that first part. They'll, a lot of them, I think, will pick up on, wait a minute, nobody's talking about this. Or, you know, that sea right. of sameness, you're able to see, well, wait a minute, they're leaving a lot of, of information out here. And now, there, to be fair, there's a, there's a checklist. I mean, there's quite a few things that, that should be done which is absolutely terrific, but it can really, you have to do the work, but then you're going to get, get the results. But let me go on to another concept, which is this idea of minimum viable marketing. Explain what that mm -hmm. is. Yeah, so this is getting a little bit back to what I was talking about before in terms of startups and lean marketing about how in a, in a startup, when, when we decided to make co-schedule uh, on an airplane back from Atlanta, I mean, my co-founder were drawing literally on airport, you know, airplane napkins probably to to develop this concept. It was a great idea. We were all excited about it. You get off the plane, you know, everybody's everybody's jacked up. We're ready to go. Come Monday morning, there's kind of this new reality that sets in of, well, wait a minute. Will people actually want that? Like, we're excited about it. But so what? Like, will people with credit cards be excited about it? Well, actually, it? that's like, a good question. I think a lot of companies <laughs> skip over that part. They do, right. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of entrepreneurs do. Um, and the reality is, is that you, any any marketing idea or concept that you come up with on an airplane napkin could be the exact same way, right? Like, okay, it's a great idea. It's it's interesting. It it's you know it ties a lot of the pieces that you've been trying to tie together. But does it actually work? Will it actually bring customers? Will it actually give you the ROI that you're going to need in order to put the full resources in it that it's going to take to get it done correctly? Um, and that's that's a tough question uh, because you have to go back kind of past the emotions of the idea and go down to like, I actually want this idea to prove itself valuable before I believe it. And so minimum viable marketing is a, is a strategy for taking those concepts, ideas, marketing campaigns, you know, whatever kind of big idea you're working on and figuring out with, and, and a lot of times what I ask our team is, okay, that's a great idea. That's very interesting, but what can you ship by the end of the week? Right. So we're at it's our Monday morning or Tuesday morning meeting. Uh -huh. uh, and, and the project that they just described to me is going to take literally two to three months. And I just said, well, what about a week? Right. And um, the point is that obviously within four days, they're not going to be able to deliver that full project. But but what can they prove? Right. Could we just write a blog post along that topic uh, and just see how interested the audience is going to be in that topic uh, before we actually invest in writing an entire ebook about it? Right. Or could we start writing the ebook as sort of a chapter at a time and publish as content after the third chapter if we're not getting as much attention to that particular piece of content as we thought we would? Do we just scrap the whole project? Um, or better yet, do we get, you know, 10 times more results from that content that we thought we were going to get. And therefore we just accelerate it and we're going to say, we're going to do it twice as fast. So it's really about slowing down the process and asking yourself, okay, before I get ahead of myself here, right, before we go too far, what's a way that we can use to prove that this is a good idea. And a lot of times you're going to have to find something slimmer, simpler, uh, and you may have to even test multiple pieces of it. But it's a really good discipline for your team to build uh, rather than what we do now, which is we'll invest two, three weeks into one campaign just to find out that no one cared, right? Which is a, a really bummer place to be. Right. Now, you opened that chapter with a story that I just thought was unbelievable about American Airlines. And yeah. now whenever I hear minimum viable marketing, I'm going to think about that as exactly how not to do it. When Just to paraphrase – uh, this was like 1981, early 80s. They were in a lot of trouble. There was a recession. They needed money. So they said, let's give unlimited first-class flights to anybody who pays $250,000, which is like 600000 now. And you, you go on to – I was not aware of this, but they, you, you went on to explain how it was enormously popular. A lot of people <laughs> bought it. And they were quite surprised, like, wow, what? maybe these customers are even smarter than we are. And then they did it for 10 years. <laughs> Exactly. And kept doing it. Uh, and, you know, you think about that, right? They gave, uh, they essentially started losing money on this deal. So you could buy like a like hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars. You could have like free unlimited flights for life, which, you know, doesn't sound like actually a good idea to start with, but hey, they went with it. Uh, 
but you know, you, but you think about that, like what could have they done instead, right? Like, let's just assume that they're going to go forward with that campaign in some way. But what if they would have just limited it to, to 100 people, right? And said, Hey, it's going to be $250,000. The first 100 people that do it, uh, they're going to get it. Everybody else is going to have to wait. We're going to shut off the program at that time. Mm-hmm. And they put those 100 people in and they saw how it goes and they, they, certainly would lose money on those 100 customers, right? Just like they did on the 100,000 or something that they <laughs> added. Uh, but it was certainly been a much, much smaller scale. And if they ended up having to shut it down, now they only have to tell 100 people bad news versus, you know, thousands of people bad news. And they could have said, look, this is, we're tested. This is a beta test. It's, yeah, it's beta test, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we're going to try it for a year uh, or two years. And after that, you know, we'll reevaluate it. I mean, so there's just so many ways they could have got about uh, gone about that. But it's sort of this kind of becomes a self-fulfilling pros- prophecy because they got excited about the idea in some board meeting somewhere and they jumped right off the cliff, <laughs> right out. They jumped right in. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that's really not the best strategy. So it's, it's really kind of about slowing it down and saying, okay, but if we're going to jump off the cliff, we want to make sure it's a really good idea first. And and um, not every idea that we do as a marketing team has to be as big as, you know, giving away free flights, uh, you know, to hundreds of thousands of customers. Uh, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve to be tested. And I think it's starting to really think about your time as a marketing team is very, very limited, right? Uh, there's a lot of places. There's a lot of things we're supposed to do. Every conference you go to, you come home with this big to-do list, right, uh, of new things that you need to be taking on. Um, and we've got to make sure it's valuable. And we've got to make sure we're using our time as marketing team in the best places possible. And the minimum viable marketing is a really good way to, to make sure that particularly your big projects, your big campaigns and big ideas are focused on the results that you're going to need. Mm-hmm. So in, in our remaining time, it's just, there's, there's, like I said, a lot of things I'd like to ask you about, but there's one that I have to ask you about, and it's probably my, my favorite part of the book. And it's towards the end, and you talk about the one metric that matters. It was unbelievable, but it's so, it's so seemingly simple. But if you could explain what you mean about this concept of the one metric that matters, and I say this because in the book you talk about how marketers don't have a data problem. (laughs) They have a data filtering problem. And if you could give examples of like the one metric that matters and perhaps as you explain it in the book, which is so helpful, like during the different phases of of content marketing maturity. Yeah. Yeah. I, the last thing any marketer needs is another piece of analytics and, and data. Um, I think, you know, I kind of talk about in there is that we have actually, we can measure more, more easier than marketers ever could, right? We have more data, I mean, even in free software, even if we're not paying a nickel for a tool. Yeah, look at Google Analytics. Right. We have more data available than just about every generation of marketers before us. And the reality is it's actually just as much of a distraction as it is a help because you know, if you want to find a chart that's going up into the right, I guarantee you that you can find it in anybody's analytics, right? You can find some menial success somewhere. Um, and that can be, that can be a problem. So one metric that matters is really about before you getting in, get into the tool and use the tool to tell you what's going well, you decide what you need in order for things to be going well. Um, and you know, this is a very unique question to every business. And it's also very unique to where you're at within the process of, of content marketing. And that's, that's the phase of content marketing maturity that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, kind of what I break down is what we did uh, in the beginning when we were, you know, our little four-person team with zero customers, the thing that we needed more than anything in the world wasn't customers, actually. It was just traffic. Like, we just needed people to come to our website and see what we had to offer and be able to make a, a fair decision on whether they wanted to do a trial or not. Like, at the end of the day, that's all we needed. Okay, but that that shows, Garrett, a certain amount of discipline because I think a lot of companies would say, no, we need leads. <laughs> Well, you can't have leads unless you have traffic, well, right? And go. so yeah. you, you got to keep you got to keep the cart and the horse in the correct order. <laughs> right. uh, but you talk about how so many companies skip over the first couple ones towards the the more mature uh, metric, right? And, and particularly with content marketing, um, you know, content marketing just dealt you know turning directly into leads. Um, well, maybe I'm sure there's places where it's happened. It, it's not really the norm. That's not really how things work. People win the lottery too, Garrett. They sure do. Exactly. So, therefore, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I, so, 
Well, so what we said is, okay, in the beginning, you know, and it was probably only for maybe six months. We said, all we're going to do, we just need to build traffic. Like we need to know how to get traffic to our website. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, we focused on uh, keywording, SEO. We focused on our meta tag description, like all of those types of things. We focused on so a ton on social promotion, right? Like how to do social promotion so we could squeeze every last click out of a piece of content that we were publishing uh, every time. Could part of that have been the, the blog about the color? In other words, is that was that part of we've got to get more traffic? Totally, okay. totally, and that was definitely with that post was probably done within that time frame, where okay. we're, or shortly thereafter, where we we're looking at page views. Fair enough. Um, but the reality is, is that we were essentially, in some ways, it was building muscles, right? Like we build sort of this muscle reflex that we exactly. know how to get traffic, um, and once we knew how to get traffic, we could start focusing on something else, and that was uh, for our marketing team, right? It became email subscribers, and now. I mean, mind you, at all at this time, like the business, this is a marketing, these are marketing team metrics. So the business was certainly looking at trial signups. We were certainly looking at, at trial to pay other conversions. But the reality is that trial signups always grew in scale to our marketing activity, right? Like if we get a thousand visitors to our website and we knew that 10% were going to convert to a trial, if we can figure out how to get 2000 visitors to the website, like we're going to increase trials. Like it, it was a one-to-one correlation. So, so that became uh, a metric, it worked pretty well. the metric that mattered at that time. It, it was, it was the only one, like it was the, it was the metric that we knew was guaranteed to drive growth. And, and everybody it knew it. Everybody knew it, and it worked until uh, it didn't, right? It, it, until it doesn't scale from a one-to-one, or you just mature as a team enough to where you can take on other things. And so what we did was probably about after six to eight months, or maybe a year at most, we moved to email subscribers. And we said, well, we can get an email subscriber. We, we know is that they're becoming a loyal part of our audience. They're going to contribute shares to our content. And we also now can enter them into, you know, drip funnel and and talk to them every once in a while about what CoSchedule does. Um, and so that became the number one metric that matters. The one metric that matters was email subscribers. We stopped even talking about page views. We actually didn't even bring it up anymore. Um, we, if we did, it was not like on a measurement basis. It was just like, oh, anecdotally, like that's interesting. But we wanted email subscribers. So we optimized our calls to actions, like top to bottom. Uh, we really figured out how to make content that actually converted into an email subscriber, which uh, also helped us convert those uh, audience members into trial customers. Um, and you know, we spent that time. And again, it becomes like you're building that second muscle. You've built the traffic muscle, you can build, you can get traffic. Now you've got to build the conversion muscles where you can convert traffic into something meaningful. And an email subscriber list is very meaningful. Um, and now, you know, as we're into our fifth year here for the last, I don't know, year or so, we've been really focusing on leads, right? But, but at the same time, like all of the things that we learned when we built traffic, they're still, they're still working. They just sort of became second nature. Mm-hmm. All the things that we learned when we built an email list, they're all working. They're just second nature. So it's like we're, we're adding on skills uh, over time. And I think what happens out of the gate, and you were kind of alluding to this, is that you like go shoot straight for the leads, and you 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 go to the end goal right away. Um, and the reality is that you haven't built any of the muscle you're going to need to actually get there, right? Yeah. Um, so so it's it, you're you're running uphill right away. And just to finish this story, in your instance, after email subscribers, then it became qualified leads. Correct. Yep. That was our third metric. And it, it took years of operation before we really started focusing on that. Yeah, that's great. So Garrett, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I, th- I would say, you know, if you read the first couple t- chapters, at least, and you get into 10x versus 10%, um, in that chapter, I actually outline a full brainstorming process that we use as a team for uh, once a quarter or so to brainstorm new ideas and campaigns and concepts for our and content for what our marketing team is be working on. Uh, a really simple framework, a really f- just a very functional process that you can use to evaluate your ideas and start making sure that your own your team is only working on 10x things and you're you're finding ways to eliminate and minimize the 10% things that take up time. Mm. Well said. Garrett, what books have inspired your work and career? You've mentioned a few in the interview here and you certainly talk about other books in the in your book. Yeah. A Blue Ocean Strategy was one that uh, right. I would definitely would def- I brought up and would definitely recommend uh, a little bit older read so people probably have not um, not heard of that one too much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, 15 years old. <laughs> it is. It but is. you know what? That book, I must read something about it every week. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of one of those books that just that sticks around, and and for very good and reason. The, and the term, reason. the term has become part of the vernacular. I mean, I just read a book, a brand new sales book that hasn't even been released yet. Red Ocean, Blue Ocean, throughout. Yeah. Another book that actually might be really good, there's a book uh, called Lean Analytics. Uh, we talked a lot here about today about one metric that matters. Um, and this is actually a book for startup businesses. Um, and, I, and you actually might find that my library has a lot of uh, startup business books in it. And I take a lot of concepts uh, and I apply them to marketing because I, I love the, I just, I, I like I like marketing. Um, but it just, it's a really good book about measurement and using data to build your startup faster, build your business faster. And I think it has a lot of good a- applications to marketing as well. I I've definitely borrowed a few things there. If you found um, what I was talking about with um, uh, lean lean startup or the minimum viable marketing at all interesting, that book would be would be a value to you as well as um, a book called uh, by Ash Mara about the lean startup. Oh yes, which yes. I, I also I also referenced that you one in the book. That so in the book. that's right. Yeah, but so there, there's a few. I mean, I could go on and on uh, with with books that I love, but. But those are those are three that really key into some of the stuff we talked about today. I think. Right. Well, I, I, and that sounds very consistent with what I read in the book. So, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading or coming out? Yeah, I just uh, I've added um, a, a book called uh, "Top of Mind" by John Hall. My friend John Hall oh, uh, yeah. wrote that, and I I've added that to my reading list. I interviewed him for the podcast. Yeah, I, I loved it. I loved that book. I know, and I, I really need to dig in more on uh, on it. And he's he's just so, so good at influencer marketing and becoming and building up your brand as an influencer. Yes. Uh, he, he's just he's just the go to guy. So um, I just moved that one up in my queue in my in my Kindle library, and I'm looking forward to diving into that one. Oh, good. Well, I'll send you a link to the interview with him to inspire you to read it. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me make a suggestion. Uh, another one would be Talk Triggers by Jay Bear. I mean, he is an investor, so. I do have. I have it sitting on my desk with uh, a little stuffed alpaca. Actually, I'm excited oh, about that one as well. Well, see, I didn't get the stuffed alpaca. I got the paperback. But you know, I, I was happy to. I was happy to have it. Yeah, it's gonna be good. So, how best can listeners learn more about you and? This book. Yeah, the book. We actually have the first chapter for free on our website at coschedule.com slash 10x book. That's 10x, the letter X mm-hmm. uh, book. And then on Twitter, I'm Garrett, two R's, two T's, underscore moon. So Garrett underscore moon on Twitter. Okay, super. And uh, we will include a link to that and your Twitter profile and your LinkedIn profile. And there's also coschedule.com slash 10x dash toolbox. You reference that URL throughout your book, and it's just yep. jam- packed with all kinds of great information. And for the listener, if you're listening on to this episode on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast player of choice, like Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. So, Garrett, last question I have. When, when you're putting your three sons to bed at night, you've had a hard day, do you ever say, good night, moon? <laughs> we have read the book, uh, but yeah, I'm sad to say no. But uh, one interesting fact about the last name is we do I, I have taught them how to moonwalk, so oh, we've got that. Excellent. You do have that covered. <laughs> you know, and honestly, I think that's more important than spelling. You know, that that's what dads Absolutely. for. You know, they gotta they they gotta they gotta learn these things from their dads. So <laughs> don't change a thing. The name of the book is 10X Marketing Formula, your blueprint for creating competition-free content that stands out and gets results. The author is Garrett Moon. Garrett, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me, Douglas. It was a ton of fun. And that closes the book on episode 203 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Lee Sauls to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Sales Differentiation, 19 Powerful Strategies to Win More Deals at the Prices You Want. 
Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.